and welcome to another episode of Crimes and Witch Demeanors. I'm your host, Joshua Spellman. I do want to say if you are a first-time listener, I would advise maybe not to start on this episode because we are going to be diverging from our typical format because I'm going to be telling a personal story of a personal haunting and going into my historical investigation into the home. But if that interests you, please stay for the ride. There's not really going to be much scripted content here. It's mainly going to be me talking. But I mean, I guess that's what every episode is, is me talking. Also, I do want to say quickly before I even start anything is that apparently I'm a prophet. As we know, January 6th, I let out the episode about the destruction of the New York State Capitol. And in that same day, our federal capital was invaded and potentially destroyed. Last week, I did an episode on a mass tornado event. And that same day, there were numerous tornado events across the country. So am I a prophet? Am I a psychic? Yes. So this week, I'm glad to say that hopefully I cannot predict any kind of disasters or major historical events. Here's hoping you never know. The universe continues to surprise. On today's episode, I'm going to be investigating the Joseph Duell House in Buffalo, New York. One of my best friend's sisters, who's also one of my best friends, owns this house and she runs a personal blog and Instagram where she documents her restoration of the home. Before my investigation, not much was known about the prior inhabitants of the home, just that it was built by a famous architect, E.B. Green. But she is starting a formal blog and she wanted to have a little bit more information on the house and I also wanted to investigate the house because I had a very haunted experience there, which we will get into shortly. So my friend Lauren, if you do want to follow her on Instagram to see this house, she is on Instagram at fern.and.folly. Link will be below. On her Instagram, she documents her restoration of the home, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous Victorian. And she's renovating it in a very respectful way. She's not painting over woodwork or anything. She has such a reverence for this home and its architecture. So if you want to see a Victorian like restored in a very respectful way, but also a modern way, I would recommend following her. The best way I can describe her is like a non-homophobic Joanna Gaines. But I digress. Maybe that's not your thing. You're here for ghosts. And trust me, this ghost story is probably one of the most intense physical manifestations of a ghost that I have ever encountered. That being very poltergeisty, but intelligent behavior. So I will recount my tale and then we'll go into the history of the house that I investigated myself. So what I've gathered for the house is going to seem negligible, but that's because there is no history of the house. I had to build it myself from scratch using over 50 primary sources, newspapers, census records, marriage records, etc. So I've built this story from the ground up. It doesn't seem like a lot, but a lot of work went into it. And since this house was built in the 1890s, there was a lot of ground to cover. But enough of all this backstory, let's get to my ghost experience. My experience happened with one of my best friends, who is Lauren's sister, Mary, on a very hot summer night in 2016. I remember it vividly because I spent the night running around the neighborhood with her playing Pokemon Go, which had just come out. And we accidentally set off the alarm at a church, but that is unrelated and I digress. When we got back to the house, we were quite tired from running around all day and night, and we kind of just wanted to go to bed, but it was also very hot and humid. If you know Buffalo summers, they're like 95% humidity about 95% of the time. So we took a box fan and tried to put it in the window, but as with a lot of Victorian homes, the windows weren't quite big enough to fit it. 
So we got a chair with a back and we set the fan on it. So the fan was facing the window and the back of the chair was facing the rest of the room. Now this is pretty important. We leave the room to go and brush our teeth and we hear a crash come from the bedroom. And when we get to the bedroom, the fan is on the ground. What we didn't notice at the time was where it was on the ground, but no worry, we put it back to where it was, left the room and heard the crash again. This time, when we got back in the room, we noticed the way the fan had fallen on the ground. The fan didn't fall towards the window where you would expect. The fan was on the other side, which means it somehow had to have flipped over the back of the chair, which honestly made no sense. However, my friend Mary and I are both quite skeptical and we're just like, it's probably some weird trick of physics, nothing to worry about, and we put the fan back on the chair. Now, at this point, we had brushed our teeth, we had changed, and we got into bed. And yes, we slept in the same bed that night. I don't remember the logistics, but we did. So we closed the door to the bedroom and turned off the lights, but we left the hall light on in case we had to get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. We're in bed for probably about two minutes when I hear a creaking and suddenly there's light in my eyes. The door to the bedroom had opened by itself. Again, an old Victorian home, things shift, doors don't close all the way, not really a big deal. So I got up and closed the door, but when I did so this time, I took a doorstop and I put it underneath the door. Now, note that the door opens inward into the bedroom, and I put the doorstop on the inside of the bedroom. So therefore, if you tried to open the door from the outside, you would not be able to because the doorstop was jamming the door, and I made sure it was very tight. But that didn't seem to matter. So I got back in bed and I was facing the doorway. And I closed my eyes and about mm, probably five minutes at most had passed and I felt a tugging on the drawstring of my gym shorts, which kind of startled me. And when I opened my eyes, the bedroom door was completely open. Not just cracked, completely open. I had not fallen asleep. No one had gotten up. I was like, Mary, the door is open. She's like, just close it. And I'm like, but I put the doorstop under the door. And so she's like, what the heck? So I get up and I go to take the doorstop and put it back underneath the door. But there is one problem. The doorstop was not in the bedroom. I was a little freaked out at this point and I very warily went out into the hallway And now, mind you, it's one of those big Victorian hallways that's quite expansive. It's kind of like the center of the upstairs. It's a very wide hallway. And down quite a ways, like a bedroom over, in the middle of the hallway was the doorstop. I don't know how it got there. I don't know how it came from the inside of the bedroom where the door opens inward and then got outside in the middle of the hallway without anybody noticing. And that really freaked me out because I had no logical explanation. It just doesn't make sense. How can you open a door inward that has a doorstop in it and then get the doorstop out and then throw it like 10 feet down a hallway? Scariest thing ever. So Mary and I looked at each other and we're like, what the heck is going on? And I just, you know, got the doorstop, went back in the bedroom, put it under the door, and I just said, hey guys. We we know you're here. We got the message loud and clear, but we are trying to sleep. We are very tired. If you could just let us snooze, that'd be splendid. And we went back to bed and nothing weird happened that night. 
But that doesn't mean strange things don't continue to happen in the home. And naturally, as white people do, um, that haunted bedroom that Mary and I had the experience in is now the nurse. Well, it was the nursery and now is the bedroom of my friend's mm-hmm. son. You know, casual. On the baby monitor, you know, you'd see her son acting weird sometimes and orbs flying by the camera, which again, it's a Victorian house, could be dust. But also we know the house is haunted. In addition to that, whenever her son was in the dining room downstairs getting his diaper changed, he would always laugh at the corner of the room for no reason and just start smiling and giggling and laughing and pointing and we just could never figure out what it was. There was nothing hanging there. There was nothing on the wall and it was always in that room and in that one spot. It was just very bizarre. But after my research, I might have an explanation as to why he would do that in that particular room. So I hope that story sparked your interest. So whether we pissed off some archangel spirit at the church where we set off the alarm or we encountered one of the ghosts of the house now of which I have a couple of candidates it remains to be seen so now I'm sure you're wondering what I've been wondering for years what is the history of this house who could these doorstop throwing ghosts be who could be hovering in the downstairs dining room and I will tell you so now that you know some of the strange happenings here is the history of the dual house When one hears the phrase Central Park, it conjures up images of classic Manhattan, horses and buggies, sprawling meadows, and strawberry fields. However, Central Park in Buffalo, New York, is a hidden gem even to wizened locals. Tucked away between Main Street and Starin Avenue, Central Park is a historic neighborhood, boasting some of the most impressive and unique Victorian architecture in the city, providing a very unique mix of urban and suburban amenities. Nestled among these grand estates lies the Duell House, named so for its first owner, Joseph Duell. Unlike the surrounding homes and Victorian architecture of the time, the exterior is rather understated, which allows its turret's copper pepper pot roof to steal the attention it rightfully deserves. While the exterior of the Duell House is unpretentious, the interior highlights the artistry of the carpenters, metalsmiths, and glassmakers of the Victorian era. Constructed in 1893, it was designed by E.B. Green, the architect responsible for some of Buffalo's most iconic landmarks, including the Albright Knox Art Gallery, the Market Arcade, and Gates Circle. On December 22, 1892, the home's construction was first announced in the Buffalo Inquirer, stating that Joseph Duell was to erect a frame dwelling in the newly formed Central Park neighborhood. Joseph Duell was born in 1847 in the village of Hamburg, New York, and was a Civil War veteran who participated in the Battles of the Wilderness, Petersburg, and Reims Station, to name a few. After the close of the war, Duell became a clerk with the New York Central Railroad, and in 1869, he married his wife, Sarah J. Wise, with whom he had two daughters, Charlotte and Hattie Louise. Shortly after his marriage, he began working with the Buffalo and Washington Railroad, which was eventually incorporated into the Pennsylvania Railroad. Later, 
Dool accepted the position as a division freight agent for the Erie Railroad and served with them for 25 years. However, his career did not end there as he transferred to the Delaware and Hudson Railroad as a commercial freight agent, holding this position for 15 years until his retirement in 1918. The Dool home has served as a witness to many events over the years, including a handful of funerals, special occasions, and at least three known weddings. That of its present owners, the Orndoffs, Rena Rothenberg in the 1920s, and that of the original owner's daughter, Hattie Louise. The joyous occasion of the Eckhart Duel wedding is described in this excerpt from page 20 of the September 19, 1898 issue of the Buffalo News. At 6.30 o'clock last evening, at the residence of Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Duell, their daughter, Hattie Louise, was married to Mr. George J. Eckhart. The ceremony, which was private and only witnessed by the two families, was celebrated by the Reverend Thomas B. Berry, rector of the Church of the Good Shepherd. It took place in the reception room, which was decorated in white asters and with an embankment of palms, before which the bridal party stood. Miss Charlotte Duell, Miss Flora Eckhart, Mr. Charles Agle of Bloomington, Illinois, and Mr. John F. Wise of Buffalo were the bridal attendants. The maids gowned in white organdy over white, trimmed with narrow white ribbon and ruffles, with bouquets of pink roses. The bride was in a lovely gown of white duchess satin with a full train and bodice trimmed with mousseline de sole. Her veil was fastened to her hair with the groom's gift, a turquoise ornament encircled with diamonds. She carried a prayer book during the ceremony and afterward a shower bouquet of lilies of the valley and bride's roses. Her gifts to her maids were turquoise rings. The groom gave his men turquoise scarf pins. From 8 to 11 o'clock, a reception was held, which was attended by 150 guests, Mr. and Mrs. Duell receiving with the bride and groom, Mrs. Duell is wearing a handsome costume of embroidered grenadine over black satin with yoke of gold appliqued in white. Throughout the house, the decorations were elaborate and in the most perfect harmony. White asters, maidenhair fern, and palms for mantles and chandeliers and stair railings round with smilax, with immense bunches of pink asters at the foot of the stairs. The Ragonas furnished the music. Supper was served in a large tent on the lawn. The bride's table was laid in white and green with bride roses for the venter. After this elaborate wedding, it appears that the dual house became the residence of the Eckhart family for only a few years before passing hands to Augustus P. Kerr and his family. Augustus Kerr was a prominent contractor and most likely crossed paths with the home's original architect, E.B. Green as Kerr also had designed buildings for the Pan-American Exposition, most notably the Horticultural Building. In addition to being a savvy designer and stoneworker, he was acknowledged as one of the city's best-known businessmen. In 1914, Augustus P. Kerr died in the home of a heart attack, leaving his wife Margaret widowed. Margaret continued to maintain the home for a few years until her own death in 1919. Both Margaret and Augustus' funerals were held at the residence. Continuing the tradition of the dual home, boarding fascinating characters, the next owners of the home were the Chabots. While surely John T. Chabot led a remarkable life, it was his daughters who were the noteworthy mentions of this era. In 1917, John's youngest daughter, Helene Chabot, graduated cum laude from Duville College, receiving honors in church history, philosophy, English, principles of education, French, and mathematics. Helene fastidiously continued her education and was rewarded in 1920 when she earned her postgraduate degree from Canisius College, becoming one of the first women, along with three others in her class, to graduate from the university. 
After earning her master's degree, Helene sailed for Germany to work alongside her sister Mary, who had been teaching at a U.S. Army vocational school in Koblenz, Germany since 1919. After only a short period there, both the Chabot girls returned to the U.S. in May of 1921, and the dual house was promptly listed for sale in early June. It appears that John T. Chabot and his wife were itching to get out of Buffalo and travel abroad. After they abruptly put up the home for auction, including all of its furnishings, they went motoring around the United States with Helene for the next year or two. Helene Chabot did not marry until 1929, which was short-lived as she died only a decade later in 1939. The home was bought at auction by Joseph Rothenberg and his wife Ray, or Rachel. The history of these owners is truly muddled, as the documents concerning them are quite inconsistent. Joseph's surname has been listed as Rotenberg, Rothenberg, and Rottenberg, and he was born around 1877, either in Germany, if you go according to the 1905 New York State Census, or Russia, if you go by subsequent federal and state census records from 1910 to 1940. These uncertain details aside, we can be positive he was the proprietor of a produce shop. His son Morris was a reckless driver. Newspaper accounts at the time tell a story of him running over a man on Main Street, and his daughter Rena's wedding was also hosted at the home. Despite the fact that not much is known about Joseph Rothenberg, he owned the dual home longer than any other owner before or since, until he sold it around 1946 to Dr. James L. Gallagher. Dr. James L. Gallagher was born in Sangerfield, a small village in central New York, in 1877. He attended Loyola College in Baltimore and graduated from the University of Maryland Medical School in 1902, moving to Buffalo in that same year. His medical career was wide and varied, serving during World War I in the Army Medical Corps, working at Sisters Hospital in the Emergency Unit, and at St. Mary's Maternity Hospital. In 1911, he traveled abroad for postgraduate work in Germany and also studied in London from 1922 to 1923. After some time, he settled down and married his wife, formerly known as Marie V. Butler, in 1933. They had one daughter together. In 1946, Dr. Gallagher purchased the dual home while maintaining his medical practice at 221 Humboldt Parkway until his death in 1959. His wife Marie had passed away the year prior. Both of their funerals were also hosted at the home. Unfortunately, This is where the trail runs cold, and for several reasons. One reason being that many owners of the home from 1960 onward are still living and I wish to respect their privacy. Another is that census records are not publicly available after 1940, which makes the research much more difficult. And finally, and perhaps most strangely, the dual home has quickly passed hands after Gallagher's ownership, with many individuals owning the home for less than three years. Now, this could be for many reasons, financial ones, personal ones, or paranormal ones. And that is the history of the dual house. I know that it ends very abruptly and probably without much explanation, but unfortunately that's how this type of research kind of goes, especially when I don't have access to a lot of the physical collections I would love to see. So a quick recap of that. So we can confirm that at least two people died in the home 
in that period of time between 1890 and 1960. And that's both Augustus P. Kerr and his wife, Margaret. Their funerals were held at the residence, and I assume that the funerals were held in the dining room where my friend's son often saw something. And more recently, Dr. James Gallagher, or Gallagher, I can't decide on a pronunciation apparently, and his wife both died while owning the home. However, they both passed away at Sisters Hospital. However, their funerals were also held at the residence. So at the very least, the dining room has seen at least four cadavers, which may be responsible for my friend's son laughing at the corner. However, it seems like these entities or spirits are rather friendly. He was entertained by them, even if it freaked us out. And I would assume that the ghosts upstairs may be some of the same. Now, there are many people in and out of this house over the years, including people after my dates of research, but also the house had servants as well. And I saw many, many different wanted ads for servants, also which seemed to come and go quite frequently, but perhaps that is normal for the time. So you'll be happy to know that for once, I do not have a logical explanation for any of the sightings in this house. I cannot squash them. I cannot explain them. They happen to me. So maybe I'm not the most objective. Maybe you can debunk them for me. Now I'll put some images of the prior owners of the home on the Crimes and Witch Demeanors Instagram, which is at Crimes and Witch Demeanors on Instagram. I might put one exterior shot of the home on my Instagram if it's an older photograph, but just to respect my friend's privacy... I'm not going to put anything on my Instagram. If you do want to see the house, there are images on her Instagram and she updates about her renovations quite frequently. So I hope this week's episode isn't going to be able to predict any kind of disasters. My voice just cracked. That's a disaster. But hopefully I'm not going to be a prophet of any kind this week. I don't see how I could. But the weeks prior have um, shown us that I apparently have the gift of just saying things. Actually, this is a story. This is a ghost story about how I predicted some deaths. But, you know, that's a story for another time. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you listen on Apple, please leave us a great review. And also special shout out to my Overcast listeners. I know I have a pretty huge chunk of listeners from Overcast, and I appreciate you. I see you. Thank you. And I know that there was one user from Overcast that came over to Apple just to rate my podcast because you liked it a lot. And I can't pronounce your name, but just know that I read your review. And thank you so much for your kind words. I'm glad that you really are liking the content that I'm putting out. And with that, if you didn't enjoy this episode, I do apologize. We will be back to our regularly scheduled, regularly formatted content next week. So be sure to stick around. But until then, don't try and use door stoppers to stop ghosts because they will throw that ish across the house. As usual, stay curious, stay spooky. Bye. Thank you.